Good morning. Hi, Bruce. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, tired. It's the end of the season. Yeah, uh, we can relate. Probably not as much. Uh, <laughs> but when your show's on, our show's on. So definitely a lot of work for us, too. <laughs> I know. It sounds like you guys have real lives. <laughs> we do. It's pretty wild. <laughs> Uh, to just introduce ourselves quickly, Bruce, uh, this is Molly. My name's Molly, and this is Kelly. I'm Kelly. Uh, and we run a podcast called Red All Over, and we're so happy to have you uh, talk to us this morning. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy time. Oh, hello? <laughs> That's when Bruce, Bruce did we lose you? Oh, no. Hold <laughs> <laughs> on. Like, we I heard the name. Let me get it back. We're out. out. Yeah. You got those charlatans. Get out of here. I'm going to get him back. I'm sorry, ladies. Hold no on. worries. No worries. You got those guys. I thought this was Mayday. I thought this was that nice boy from Mayday calling me again. Kelly and Molly, I've got Bruce back. Okay. Fantastic. Yay. Um, yeah, I thought we would have gotten farther before I hung up on you. But yeah, no, we did too. This is exciting. Actually, that's about what we were expecting. Yeah, to be honest. So, uh, I, I, I do, I do listen to your show. Uh, we, we've heard. So, uh, well, does that make it harder to do the show, or? Well, that's so funny. We were just about to ask you a similar question. Um, I guess uh, let me dart this question by getting the elephant out of the room. Uh, are you aware that on our podcast we do an impression of you? Specifically, me, me, Molly uh, does an impression of you. Yes, I yes, I I first I, I have heard yes. <laughs> okay, uh, if you um, would like, it's uh, it's, and, it's uncanny. <laughs> My dog looks up every time you do. <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. Perfect. Well, he's doing great. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you know, if at any point during this interview, you would like to do an impression of me as revenge, you are more than welcome to. So just putting that out on the table. Um, okay. I'll keep great. that in mind. <laughs> so actually, that dovetails perfectly into our first question. Is you ask us, you know, if it uh, makes us feel self-conscious uh, knowing that people from the show listen uh, to our podcast. Yes, it does. Yeah, for the record, absolutely. <laughs> Yes, it does. Um, but also, I'd kind of like to turn that question back on you. Is like, how do, how is it writing a show now in this age of there's so much analysis via recap podcast? How what is the experience of writing a show like with that kind of feedback constantly? Um, it's hard, I, I, and and also it's changing all the time. That you know, mm -hmm. you get used to one kind of uh, form of criticism or, or one way that people are kind of expressing themselves and then everything changes and everybody, you know, no one's on Twitter anymore. Everybody's doing it on Instagram and, you know, so it's, um, the, the way the dialogue is happening keeps changing. When I first started doing this, we, people used to send letters you know, to, when I was on ER, people used to send letters to ER. Um, so, uh, I really like hearing all the conversation and analysis, uh, mostly because it tells me whether I was, whether, whether whether what I thought the audience was going to get out of the episode they got or whether they didn't get, and how much of kind of the 
you know, there's 60% that you get watching and then there's 40% that's the bonus for watching carefully. And so how many, mm. how much of that bonus do people get? And so, because otherwise, you know, I don't know what I'm building on for future episodes. I don't know whether, mm. you know, do you know these people feel this way about each other or was I too clever by half or you want a second career as a stand-up comedian. You've already like got the bones. So if you ever want to do that, let us know. Yeah. Yeah, it works dovetails so well into my current writing assignment. <laughs> Instant feedback. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is one thing about comedy. Um, and I'm curious, do you have a favorite Handmaid's Tale character to write for? Um, not really. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that that uh, when I get the chance to write for all of them, I'm always relieved and happy to be back writing for them. Mm. Um, so, it, it, you know, the kind of the answer is always kind of who you are writing at that moment, because hopefully you put the person into a scene where they are the most interesting character to have in that scene. Um, so you're excited to get there, which is, you know, we're very lucky on the show that we have actors who are spectacular could be on their own shows or, you know, uh, being the central character on the own show who come in and give us small scenes here and there. And those kind of make the show. But the way we choose those scenes is, you know, you really, uh, you know, this is going to be much better if it's Moira for X, Y, or Z reason. And that's where it gets fun is you're like, I, I haven't written for this character for a little while because we have so many characters that, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to get back to all of them, you know, even the ones who are, you know, horrendous. It's nice to get back <laughs> yeah. to their head because you're, because you're playing tennis with the actor, not really the character. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And is there an episode that you would say is your favorite? Like either just, you know, as a fan of your own show or an episode that you're particularly proud of? I'm uh, well, particularly proud of definitely. I mean, I'm going to wait for my plane to go over here. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm very proud of all of them. I mean, it's really uh, been an amazing run. Um, And also, I always, you know, I'm always trying to make them perfect and so they never turn out exactly the way that I want them. Um, But, you know, I was, the the ones I'm always proudest of are the ones that are the biggest swings. Like last season, we had one where it was June giving birth the whole episode and she was just completely alone. That's hard to except to for the wolf, write, but it's all, oh, and that cool. Bruce Springsteen song, <laughs> and that Bruce Springsteen and Oprah, and the boss and Oprah. Uh, she wasn't alone. You're never alone when Oprah's no, around. No, she was. You're, you're never alone. We have a an AM radio, but, <laughs> uh, but she. Um, uh, but that was a particular favorite, and a lot of it is is just you know being able to try to push Lizzie to do something she hasn't done before. That's a great answer. Um, my next question is, so around the launch of season one, you said something to be effective. You think there's 10 seasons uh, worth of material in The Handmaid's Tale. And we've just, you know, recently got the announcement that we are getting a fourth season. So in light of all that's happened, do you still feel like there's 10 seasons worth of material here? Uh, I think there's a hundred seasons worth. Of <laughs> oh no, it gets bigger every time. I mean, we're gonna need a bigger sponsor. Uh, I, I, there's pl- there's plenty of stuff. Um, you know, it, it's just a question of how much is compelling, and also how much follows the handmaid. I mean, I think that this part of the story works best when you're when you're op- when you're in a pretty restricted point of view because the most interesting part about it is June doesn't know what the hell's going on most of the mm-hmm. time. 
and so once you start kind of getting away from from that, um, it, it becomes a lot less interesting. So as long as it's The Handmaid's Tale, I think it's uh, worth doing. But now that you know, there's another book coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, right? I mean, I, I feel like I'm fascinated by the kind of the world in general. But what I'm looking for, I think there's a natural end to the series of The Handmaid's Tale, and what I'm looking for is something that you can put in a nice box, put next to mm-hmm. the book on the shelf, and, you know, the book is, is the story, and we're just kind of one take on it. And so hopefully it's a nice companion piece to the, to the novel. Yeah, it's a nice companion, like a bunch of tapes found in a footlocker and analyzed years later. Totally. Um, Maybe, yes. So I think that's wonderful, and I love that you think of it that way. Um, Can you tell us, so uh, we've seen up to episode 12 because we have screeners, and so we're just really waiting with bated breath for that season three finale <laughs> yeah, that's the appropriate sound. Like, no, honestly, like episode twelve was the most stressed out I've ever been watching this show. So I'm dying to know what happened. Yeah, can you tell us anything wow, that's, about this? That's that's pretty high praise. Yeah, it is. Like I'm. Oh, my stomach hurt for like two hours after I watched it. Well done. So I just have a question. Like, could you tell us anything about the finale, or more towards your first point? Is there something that maybe we should be paying close attention to going into the finale? Um, no, I think you guys are paying close attention to the right things. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, because the show, I think, gives benefits if you pay a little bit more attention. I mean, oh, definitely. Not that we're hiding. Not that we're hiding things in there, but every decision is is on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. so. You know, why do they have Mercedes cars? Why do they, you know, do this? Why do they do this? Why is it so? Because the you don't get a ton of information when you're June. You have to extrapolate from mm-hmm. the pieces that you do get, and it's the same thing for the audience. You know, you don't you're not getting that much of a view. We're not, you're not getting that much of a view of Gilead, but. Um, what you are getting, you can tell a lot if you extrapolate out. And I think that's the mm-hmm. beauty of the commentary that that we do get that's a little more in-depth. That's not just um, a kind of I liked this moment or I hated this moment, kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the ticker tape of kind of the emotional ticker tape that goes by when people are watching the show. But the deeper analysis is when you can kind of point out, oh, this thing is here because it led to this thing, and there's a reason for I mean, we just, we, nothing's by accident this country. Mm-hmm. Because nothing in Gilead mm-hmm. is by accident. They decide everything, what color they're going to paint the walls, what kind of underwear she's going to wear. You know, <laughs> everything is on purpose, so the show has to be on purpose, too. Yeah, so it's like who Gileads the Gileads. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we love the inclusion of those details, and it makes me feel good that you feel like we're picking up on what you're putting down. And, like, those details are why often our episodes are longer than the actual episodes of this show. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think you want that, though, especially if a show's going to only come out once a week. You know, if yeah, you're going to watch it all at once, that's a very different experience. Um, you know, I, and, could, I couldn't mentally handle of, it. I hear from people who've been no, watching I, I this season, but I'm so. like, how do, you, how do you live? I don't understand. No, I think you're right. I don't think I could either. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm particularly squeamish about television. You know, I, oh. I'm, I'm a wuss. I know. And so, so... Uh, the show, the stuff that you guys 
cringe about and it's difficult to watch. It is mm. very difficult for me to watch. It, and you know what's coming every time. And I know it's coming, but there's <laughs> the added thing of, of I know that Lizzie's not being hurt or really upset, but she's so good. Mm-hmm. I forget that it's June, not Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And and I like Lizzie, and I don't want her to. Do <laughs> so uh, it, uh, so that that's actually much harder than I thought. Is to not watch June go through stuff, but the added element of also it's happening to Elizabeth, who I adore. Mm-hmm. So one thing we definitely want to ask, um, as we all know, The Handmaid's Tale is a story originally written by a woman about women who are grappling with systemic sexual oppression. And as much as I love the show. I really struggle with the fact that a cisgender man is leading this adaptation. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that kind of like disconnect. Who do I think I am? I think it's... <laughs> who the hell do you think you are? Um, yeah, yeah listen, you're from I mean, Bruce Miller, right? You. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, I, uh, when they were looking for a showrunner, I, they were looking for a woman, and I was 100% on board with that, except I wanted it. I mean, I don't know what, what you know, yeah. personally, I don't know what you do when you really want and are inspired by a job that you're not supposed to try to get. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm troubled by the same thing. And I think whenever, whenever you're on a show, no matter if you're, you know, happen to be a CIS white dude or you happen to be, you know, uh, a, a, a banker who is working on a cop show, you have to support yourself where you really don't have any knowledge. And that's practical as well as just kind of emotional people going through the world. So uh, the the one good thing is I don't assume I know what it's like to go through mm. the world this June. So I always am asking, you know, what it's like. <laughs> um, and the so you have to support yourself, and that means hiring women, not just as writers, but kind of along every level of the creative process so we have you know a uh, women line producer we have a woman post-production producer you know we have women editors we have you know so so it isn't just writers um and producers but it's all the way down uh you know to our director of photography you know the you, you want women in those positions to let you know uh what their point of view is but the key i think for me is you need people who are outspoken um and also not just outspoken and honest, but someone who doesn't mind explaining it to a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you have to do. You can't just mm-hmm. say, it feels this way when you want to have an affair with someone when you're a woman. You have to also have be able to say, well, why? Why do you think mm-hmm. that? What does this mean? And so you have to be able to be pushed without being frustrated by the fact that this room full of people doesn't, uh, you know, you know, it, it wants to know more. And the other thing is you can't just hire a single voice from any and expect it to represent any group because mm-hmm. that thing is, as soon as you hire two people from, from any group or two people who are discussing things where they overlap, they, they have completely opposite <laughs> opinions about it. So, you know, you know, I have a room with, I don't know, there are probably nine of us and seven are women, and they don't agree on any, you know, <laughs> kind of basic, basic questions that I would have no idea about the veracity of the answer. How does it feel to get your period? You know, how do you, how do you know you're getting your period? Well, right. you know, one really? person says X and everybody else goes, that's not true. I don't feel that way. And it's like, okay, well, that's, this is zero health, you know. <laughs> you think that's yeah, and I mean, we definitely appreciate how many women are employed on this show. And I think the the point of view, which was set up, you know, kind of in the first season, 
um, it's such a female gaze on this show. And I think that's especially important when you're dealing with just sexual trauma on top of sexual trauma on top of sexual trauma. So we really appreciate the care that's taken there. Yeah. And we've seen definitely women, you know, in the staff of this show rise through the ranks. And like, I, I believe that you are doing your due diligence there. And I appreciate that. And you know what? Sidebar, if you need another period consultant, I would be happy to be in that writer's room. So you just let me know. Uh, okay, good. That is, give, me a, give me an accurate schedule and I'll know when to call. Okay. Bruce, that is um, 100% me shooting my shot, and I sure will. Uh, you can just share your period <laughs> tracking app with him. I yeah, think yeah, then, yeah, because it's like Web 2.0, you know? <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I know we only have uh, we have about 10-ish minutes left on this, so we're going to keep going. But... Um, so this is another kind of hard question is um, something that comes up a lot in discussions of this show is sort of the way that it handles non-white characters. Uh, and, you know, I'm a person of color myself watching this show, and I'm really excited that there's been a more inclusive approach to casting since season one. But the thing is, we, we do see a lot of those, you know, people of color, especially black women, kind of dying under the heels of this show. And we're wondering whether race is something that gets addressed in the writer's room and how sort of you deal with writing the show, hearing this feedback. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely discussed in the room um, a lot. Uh, it, you know, there's a, there's a basic conflict or basic difficulty with this is that the way that, that uh, TV feels about people of color and the way Gilead <laughs> feels about people of color uh, you know, kind of mash into each other a little bit because in the book it's an all-white world. Um, any and I, you know anybody of I, I don't even know how you decide of, of color, but they sent them off to Nebraska or somewhere to start farming. I mean, it was it's terrible. So in a novel, that that isn't as much in your face as in a TV show. Um, so I didn't think it would be smart to make it an all-white world. I mean, uh, right. I, you know, in no. short, I think the answer is how do you how do you make a how do you make a show about racists without making a racist TV show? You're still not giving any actors of color a job. Even right. If you're making a show. Yeah, I mean, you're given our giant crush on both OT Fred Benley and Tamara Wiley, like, thank you for that. Oh my no, no, I'm with you. I think so. <laughs> but um, but you know, I think that that it's it's a struggle. I mean, the show deals with a ton of of issues all at once. And they all inter- intersect. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how Gilead would feel about people of color having been born out of such a huge drop in the birth rate. So, you know, if the birth rate dropped 90%, would I mean, already with fertility, people are dropping their problems with adopting children of other races. I mean, that kind of ship has already sailed. People adopt. Although we, you know, we do hear um, in a recent episode, Aunt Lydia, you know, points out that there there was a white couple, a white commander and his wife, who didn't want right. a handmaid of color. So those, we are getting some evidence that that attitude is persisting. Or, or, or at least, you know, either vestigial or people are trying to hide it, you know, for now. Um, but I bet if they had their druthers, they would choose, you know, a, a child, a handmaid who was of the same race. But in this case, it's you know, they don't have very much choice in babies of of any, you know, parentage are very exciting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I see it, you know, I see it as an issue. The problem, the, 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 there's a very practical problem in terms of 
you know, you don't want to introduce characters who aren't going to do anything. And in Gilead, if you do something, almost always you pay a price. Mm-hmm. So, there's a combination of being in a place where you get executed for having mm-hmm. any kind of bravery or gumption, and then you don't want to introduce characters who have no bravery or gumption, and then you end up. Uh, but all of those characters are, the, the casting at least is colorblind. Um, mm-hmm. We're not looking for um, a, a black woman to play of uh, Matthew. We were just looking for someone great and, and Ashley. Oh, man, Ashley. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Ashley killed it, but that's inappropriate. <laughs> she, when we shot in the hospital, when she had a, you have to be a certain kind of trooper to lay in bed for a whole episode <laughs> with a thing coming out of your mouth. Um, so uh, this is after of Matthew's shot when she's in the hospital. And uh, we had a doll made of her. Um, I saw that on her Instagram. It's the creepiest thing ever. And then she took pictures of it and put it on her Instagram. She's like, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, does she get to like this? And she's like, like, this is such a bad idea. This is, just, <laughs> it was very funny. And that creepy ass thing of her around all the time. They, at night between shoots, they cover it with plastic. So you'd walk in in the morning and there was like <sighs> Ashley's laying in bed covered in, it was horrifying. It was great. I mean, it was like ex machina cosplay on set. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. I mean, it was just her head, her chest, and one leg that we could cut apart that we made. Oh, up. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was awful. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it's something, you know, we're, um, you know, we, we talk about, I struggle with in the show, how to address it. I think I'm going to keep struggling and we're going to keep talking about it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, luckily you have a whole other season, so we're excited. Honestly, Grace, I see you doing the work and I see you trying and as fans of the show. Like, we appreciate that effort because genuinely uh, some people don't think to put that effort in, and I appreciate the kind of uh, introspection that has to happen, and I see you doing the work. And I think what's really hard about these conversations is, like, people like yourself who are willing to engage with these questions around, like, race and class and privilege, both on screen and behind the scenes, you know, it's like, you know, you're, like, you're not, you're not the problem, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're not. Um, so we're going to go, we have two more questions left. One is sort of a question that we ask, we've been asking everybody because the nature of our show are, are, uh, is we have to absorb your great show. And sometimes that's a lot. So sometimes we offset it by being real silly. So we're going to ask you two silly questions and then one sincere question. Uh, so the two okay. sillies, the two sillies are this, uh, what is your favorite, uh, chick flick? That is a uh, movie. I, I, yeah. Wait, no, I know what a chick flick is, but, but I also know that that by putting something into that category, I could totally get destroyed. No, 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 no. no, no. Here, uh, to give you a little grace, this I question believe, is a safe space. Yeah, and I believe it can really be stretchy. Uh, when we interviewed, uh, it might have been. I think it was Dorothy said the bold italic. Just really like. Anything woman and alien. Anything woman focused that makes you feel the opposite of the Handmaid's Tale, basically. <laughs> oh, uh, well then I would say Wonder Woman, probably. Oh, all right, that's a great one. Um, I wouldn't say it's a chick flick, but if I was going to say a chick flick, I would have said Inglorious Bastards because my fifteen-year-old <laughs> daughter—that's her favorite movie. Oh my god, amazing! What a badass. 
Those are both great answers. Yeah, I know. I just... Tell her we said goodbye, yeah. Shoshana. Apparently <laughs> insane. Um, and then the, the second silly question is, and this is really not a silly one. This is important. But um, what's your favorite method of self-care? Um, unstructured time. Mm. Uh, where, you know, where, where you have, a, you know, a, a vast expanse of time where you don't have to do anything for, or have to be where that's my biggest, because mm-hmm. so much of my job, the level of, of busyness in the job of showrunner is comical. It's just mm-hmm. the amount of, you know, the amount of questions you have to answer in a day, the amount of, I mean, it, literally, you know, you, you, I show up at work and there's a line outside my office and, mm-hmm. and it's four o'clock and I haven't gone to the bathroom, you know, all those oh, yeah. you know, work these hard things. And so I think that uh, for me, the, the thing that restores me the best is when I have unstructured time where I don't have to be anywhere and I don't have to make decisions on a schedule. Well, I hope you have some time like that coming up soon. <laughs> you definitely. Yeah, hopefully, to, hopefully you get to do a lot of nothing once the finale is is done. I know you have to ramp up for for season four, but hopefully you get to take a little break. Yeah. Um, so so I think the room, writers' room opens up before the finale airs. So. Oh my gosh. Oh, Bruce. Okay. Well, we'll give you one more question, and then you can, you know, have some of that time back. Um, so this is a serious okay. question, but it is also quite silly because in researching for this interview, I found out that way, way back in 2004, you worked on one of my absolute favorite Lifetime movies, She's Too Young, starring uh, Miriam McDonald, Hilton Grassy, and Oscar winner Marsha Gay Harden. Um, I'm just curious, can you tell me anything about what Marsha Gay Harden smelled like? Uh, no, I can't. I was not invited to the set in those <gasps> where you weren't invited. Um but I can't remember. Uh, I do. Were you I not invited because the, you two were project. too young? I'm sorry. What were you uh, saying, Bruce? <laughs> we interrupted with I a joke. I, I wasn't. I was just old enough. No, I. Um, <laughs> but I do remember it was based on a. It was based on a documentary. You know, uh, I think it was about children outside of Atlanta who were kind of. It was this. The documentary is like shocking and mm-hmm. great. Um, you know, like it was. It was. Um, I forget. I forget. Uh, it was made for PBS, but I forget who made it. Um, but it was. It was that. You know, all those movies are kind of sanitized versions of real <laughs> mm-hmm. stories. And so when you're writing them, and when I was back in the writing them period of time, it's fun. You know, oh, it's fun when it comes out the other side. But oh my God, to sit down with those real people and talk to them mm-hmm. is totally. Mm-hmm. I'm so. I mean, that part of it was so hard. You know, you, because they they went through these real things. And then you turn it into a movie, and there's kind of a fun aspect to the movie, but there's, it's awful to kind of see yeah. that you know, these people's lives are, you know, completely have turned in a completely different direction because of whatever we're turning into some little movie. Well, thank God you're working on such a light comedy now. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us, Bruce. We, you know, by and large, we like the show a lot. Thank you for taking time out of your Sunday to talk with us. We're having a fun time. Saturday, Molly. Oh, Saturday. Well, <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much. Well, thank you yep. guys so much. Um, I really enjoy the the show, and and you guys are super smart. So thank you yeah. so much, Bruce. Thank you. All right, can't wait okay. for the finale. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 